0: I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we've got, man, a lot to cover, more than we probably can get to today, but uh, that's why we have future weeks. That's what helps. So, we got, if we don't get to everything, we can push it back to another week, but we'll try to get as far as we can today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we think about uh, issues in our culture that are prevalent, being taught in many places… Uh, God, I pray that You would give us wisdom, biblical wisdom, and then also just honesty as we examine the raw data and real facts and information of what's really happening in our society, that You would help us to see the truth, that You would help us to think reasonably, to think biblically, and to not buy into false uh, systems of of thought that will ultimately have a negative effect, I believe, on our Christian walk and on our discipleship uh, and ultimately even on our faith in Christ. And so, God, I pray now this time would be used well and that we would see more clearly uh, what is going on around us in our society, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, just as a reminder, just a quick review, of a, we'll start with a few review points from last week. Again, borrowing a definition of justice from Allie Beth Stuckey's uh, episode from a couple years ago, we looked at this last week. In Scripture, justice is truthful, impartial, proportional, and direct. Greg, why don't you recap some of these terms and and help us remember what some of these things mean.
1: Yeah, truthful simply means like it lines up with the facts. Um, It's not interested in an agenda. First and foremost, it's interested in what are the facts, what actually happened, Um, because if you remember the simple definition is rendering to each, uh, giving to each man his due, treating him according to what he deserves. Um, The only way you can do that is if you're being truthful. If you know what actually happened, what he actually did, what laws he actually violated, so on and so forth. So it has to be in accordance with reality. It has to be in accordance with the facts. Impartial means we don't come biased one way or the other. Justice, you know, the the picture of Lady Justice holding the scales with a blindfold, there's a reason for that, is because we don't decide ahead of time what your verdict's going to be. You don't decide ahead of time what the outcome of the case is going to be. You don't decide against the accused um, ahead of time. If he looks a certain way or is from a certain background, you don't decide against the, the accuser the same way. Like, it's impartial. It's not biased either way. It's not going to lean more in favor towards one or the other. You're going to let the facts determine the outcome. Proportional simply refers to, you know, the punishment should fit the crime. You don't overpunish people. For smaller things, and you don't under-punish people for bigger things, uh, the punishment needs to fit the crime. It should always um, correlate in that way. And lastly, direct—just um, get it done. Um, do it. Don't. Don't. Um, the word I'm for. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. Uh, it just needs to to be done exactly as it needs to be. Um, and so. That's justice, and again, keep that in mind. I mean, I know Alibeth Stuckey uses that, um, but I mean, that reflects what the Bible teaches. I hope by, by now that's clear where Scripture leads us on this. Um, another definition we need to remember is that of righteousness, which is simply strict adherence to the law. For us, that means conformity to God's law. We should be committed to doing right according to what the Word of God clearly says is right. Um, and lastly, equity... And again, this comes from the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. Um, In practice, equity is the impartial distribution of justice, Um, meaning in light of justice and righteousness, we just make sure we do it impartially. When we mete out whatever justice is, um, we don't do it vindictively. We don't do it with a a sour spirit or anything like that. We, We meet, we make sure it's it's given the way it should be given.
0: And just a word on that. The yeah. word equity has changed its definition yes. in recent years, where now it means uh, forcing equal outcomes is mm-hmm. the new definition of equity. Equity used to mean treating everyone equally under fair law, but now equity means mm-hmm. manipulating the system so as to, re- to to get equal outcomes no matter what. So it actually becomes, it can become a form itself of injustice yes. because you don't end up treating people as they should be treated under law. Yeah. You end up having to, to move things around in order to get equal outcomes, yeah. which we'll talk
1: more about in these next couple of weeks. Yeah, and so again, the reason we mention this is we want to keep the right definitions at the forefront so that we have a filter and a grid and a framework by which to engage and evaluate bad definitions, because as we've already been seeing, there are a lot of bad ways of thinking, bad ways of interpreting um, these issues that we're facing in our culture, and we need to keep the Bible's definitions at the forefront.
0: That's helpful. And those are some passages we looked at last week. Remember, I mentioned LeBron James, but a lot of people said similar things a couple of years ago. He said about black men in particular, he said, we're literally hunted every day, every time we step foot outside the comfort of our homes. And uh, I was mentioning articles that in 2020 were saying things like police killing black people is a pandemic too. Uh, so again, it was, just, it was just becoming assumed that this is what's happening in a systemic way in our culture. And I mentioned uh, Roland Fryer, the uh, Harvard economics professor who did a big study expecting to find uh, racial discrimination in uh, police shootings of unarmed, uh, whether white or black individuals. And he said here after studying a thousand shootings in 10 major police departments, He said, when it it comes to the most lethal form of force, police shootings, the study finds no racial bias, and in his own words, quote, it is the most surprising result of my career. And then we looked also at the Washington Post. I think this is one of the most important pieces of information in the whole conversation. Uh, They've been keeping track of police shootings since 2015, and as I mentioned last week, of unarmed white people killed by police in 2019. You can see at the top, uh, there are 26 victims, and I want to be clear. That doesn't mean that those people were killed unjustifiably. Some of them may have been unjustified killing. Some of them may have been fully justified. Just because they didn't have a weapon does not mean that they were not a real and present threat in the situation. I don't know all the details of these scenarios. Also of African-Americans in the same year, there were 12 unarmed African-Americans who were killed by police. In 2020, 26 white Americans were killed uh, by police who were unarmed. In the same year, there were 18 African-Americans who were killed by police in the same year. If you do the whole thing from 2015 to today, uh, you see here there are 186 unarmed white Americans who were killed by police since 2015 to today. All years put together, 186. For African Americans, it's 148 uh, over that same period of time. Uh, so that, that's very important to keep that in mind. And um, I want to show, Vodi Bauckham is the, actually mentioned this interview in his book, uh, Fault Lines, and I wanted to show a brief clip here from this interview. Uh, It's from Prager University. I'm not endorsing everything Prager University has ever said, but uh, this video, I thought the first minute and 40 seconds would be worth uh, watching because I think it shows the kind of misunderstanding that's pretty rampant in our culture amongst all Americans, frankly, on this topic. So he's he's asking these three guys he's talking to, how many unarmed African-Americans do you think were killed versus unarmed white people were killed by police? He's just kind of getting their opinion off the street. I don't think their opinion is that far away from a lot of Americans' opinion in the last few years. So listen to uh, part of this interview.
2: Literally, whose head can I Come
3: put
0: my on, knee on like, for a would
2: second? Why like, that?
0: like, That's how they feel about it though. you
3: guys know how many unarmed black men were killed by police last year?
2: No. A good, a good I know. I know people... To guess,
3: what would you say? Over a thousand? Over a thousand?
2: I say a good, like, probably like 1,400, about there.
3: Too many to count, probably. What about how many unarmed white men were killed by police? Probably
2: like... Probably, probably, two, three. Nine, probably like four, five, three. A good estimate is like 10 to 15. The la- okay,
0: now, I'm not even making fun of what they're saying. W- what they're saying is what anybody would say based on the media in the last five years. That's what anybody would say. Of course, 1,500 uh, unarmed black men were killed by police and maybe zero to five white men. That's what anybody would think today with all the hashtags and protests. You would automatically think that. So I'm not making fun of these guys. They're just going with what they've heard from everyone around them for the last five or 12 years or 10 years or so of media coverage, which has been just destructively misleading. Now, when, when uh, this guy, Will, with the microphone, when he gives them the actual facts, they actually can't believe it's true. They think he's making it up, so listen.
3: This year in America, 16 unarmed white men were killed by police, and only nine unarmed black men were actually killed by police all last year. Wow. Yeah. But they did a Harvard study, and actually a, a judicial system study as well, and they found that there was no racial bias when it came to police shootings last year. Yeah. When you guys hear that, what does that make you think?
0: Cap. I mean, that's it. Yeah, think? cap. Cap. Cap just means not true. Like, that's a lie. That is not true.
3: A study that showed that cops are actually 18 times more likely to be killed than an unarmed black man is to be killed by the police. Hmm. Doubt cap. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is cap. But when you saw... This last weekend in Chicago, there were more black men that died from murders this last weekend than all the black men who died from police last year in America. Does that make you think that maybe, you know, police brutality isn't the biggest issue facing oh, black hey, Americans, well, and it's...
2: Well, it's also black on... Chicago's a, on- a crazy, crazy city. In Chicago's crazy city, but you also gotta understand there's, there's police brutality, and then there's black on black crime, which we, as people, have to stop doing. Yeah, right. So that's our part. If they do their part, we're also gonna do our part. You feel?
0: Okay, so I'll stop there, but you get the idea that in our culture today, it's extremely skewed the way that most people have been taught to think about uh, this whole issue.
1: Thoughts on that video, Greg? Well, facts are stubborn things, but so are narratives. Um, And that's one of the things we face today is narrative versus like actual facts. I mean, I I think we've talked about that a little bit maybe. Um, But narrative is a big ish a gig, I can't talk. A big component of CRT, um, and it's all about telling your story and what story is told. Um, and the narratives may or may not relate to the facts, but that's irrelevant. We have a story to tell, um, and if you tell a story and it's got enough emotion, it's got enough you know human element, people are going to be more prone to believe a story than they are the actual facts. And you see, it's hard when you've been gripped by a, a, a story of how things are, it's hard to push back against that with the facts. It's easier not to. It's easier, oh, the facts are just making that up. Um, but you, you can't always verify stories. You can verify facts. Um, stories are very subjective, um, and they need to be tested by the facts, and that's one of the biggest problems we have today is we don't test anything by the facts anymore. You it's that? just what's the story, and if the story's compelling, well, we're gonna go with the story, facts be what they will.
0: Right. And so l- let's keep going here. Um, the BDN Buile is a guy we keep mentioning because I used to like him so much 10 years ago, and now I just disagree with him regularly on these things. And uh, he's, this is an interview from 2014 when they were talking about um, these issues, the race issues. And you can see the shirt he has here is an, a number of African-American men who were killed by police around that time period. I found the actual shirt. So you can see at the bottom there, it's got Eric and Mike. This is the actual shirt here. It's got the names of some of these individuals that have become well-known in the last few years. And there's a new shirt al- along the same lines. This one, which you can see updated with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Philando Castile and Ahmaud Arbery. And... Um, so I want to just take a second. Vodi does this in his book fault lines. Uh, he discusses this in some detail. I want to take a few minutes here to walk through some of these individual stories. Now you may remember ahmad arbury 's uh, story this happened in Georgia, and uh, it was uh, oh man it 's an awful thing to to watch what happened He's, he he um, you, you probably know the story, but he—he had—he uh, was essentially jogging down the road, and he had gone into a house that was under repair and come out again, and was jogging down the road. And some these two guys uh, assume he's up to no good, and they chase him down for a couple of miles or something like this with with a truck, and another guy is following them, and they get out, and they both have a they, one's got, the son's got a shotgun, the dad's got a big pistol, and they try to stop him. He tries to run around the truck, and he gets into a little interaction with the guy with the shotgun. He is shot, and he is killed, and dies on the road. Absolutely awful thing. This happened right before George Floyd in 2020 in, in, in Georgia, and a horrible story. Now, I'm not discounting that this is an awful thing, okay? I'm, I'm not for one second discounting that, but I, I want to also give a fair hearing to other uh, equally horrible stories that don't get the same kind of news time, okay? So, what, what Vody made, made a point of was neither of these men were actually police officers. Now, one of them had been a police officer in the 1980s, but neither of these men were acting as police officers. So the, Vody says this actually falls in the category of interracial violence, which is what this was. This was, this was a, a case of interracial violence. Now, I don't read this statistic with any kind of ill motive. This is just a fact. And you said, like, the facts we have to look at, and, and we need to draw right conclusions from it. This is uh, from Ali Bestucki from the department, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice. 2018 crime in the United States, murder of offenders, 533 white people were killed by black people, 243 black people were killed by white people. Now, here's here's my point in bringing this up. This is not in any way to say, now, let me mention here, Thomas Sowell, who is himself an African-American man, has written a number of books. One of them is called Discrimination and Disparities, and I've got uh, a picture of him here with uh, signing one of his books discrimination and disparities, which I've just started reading, and it's a fascinating read so far. He's not a believer, as far as I know, but he's written on this. And Thomas Sowell says, listen, what what we've often said is that disparities between ethnic groups of any kind are automatically due to one of two things. And he argues both of these are way too simple, and one of them is totally wrong. When there are disparities, we tend to jump to one of two conclusions. When you run back 100 years ago, the true racist, the actual real white supremacist answer was, if African-Americans have a higher crime rate, or if there's a time of lower education or higher crime, the, the reason is because of genetic inferiority. That is wicked. That is actual white supremacy. Saying that uh, if, if in this country at this time, if there is a lower crime rate among white Americans, and if there's higher economic stability among white Americans, that means white people are of a higher uh, genetic source. They're, they're of a higher DNA, they, they, they're, they're supreme, they're better. Th- that's the same kind of thing that was behind Hitler and the Nazis, right? that the Jews were actually inferior in a genetic sense, and so therefore we should exterminate them. So everyone agrees that is pure wickedness, absolutely evil. But Thomas Sowell makes a great point. He says what we've done in, uh, today, you know, 70 to 100 years later, we've jumped to the opposite answer, and now what we say is all disparities are due to discrimination, this is what CRT says every time there's any difference between two ethnic groups or genders or whatever the, the reason has to be some kind of sexism or homophobia or there has to be some kind of uh, you know white supremacy or something behind all forms of disparities are due to racial discrimination or sexual discrimination and he, he makes he makes an absolutely cogent and compelling argument based up with real data that discrimination excuse me disparities can be due to an unbelievable variety of factors and it is far more complex than a you know, you know, a unilateral, single uh, uh, explanation for all that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't say it much better than than you just you said it. We, when it comes to these things, I mean, can you go back to that statistic? I mean, that seems like a disparity. So could we we could use that same logic and say, well, obviously there's racism at play here, and I I, I don't think that's the right. case. Like, I, I think that would be absurd to say, well, the reason why there's a disparity is because of racism. Right. Or black supremacy or something like that, I mean, that's just foolish to say that, right but but that's the nature of the argument. like there's, there's a whole lot of reasons why that num- those numbers could be the way they are. And there's always more than one factor. Was it monocausal was it right? Was the um, phrase. It's not
0: a monocausal? Yeah, response. it's not just
1: one cause. Um, there's a lot of causes that feed into this um, that you know that take a book to look at, like how, how do you know social status, how does income, how does you know all manner of things? How does that impact people's lives? How does that impact, you know, how they respond to things and what's likely to trigger this, what's likely to trigger... There's so many factors that go into it. It's not impossible to find, but we can... It's, it's naive to assume that if that were reversed, well, that's obviously white supremacy and racism against black people. Well, it could be, right. but it might not be. We've, again, this is why let's inv- you've got to investigate and you've got to say... Look look at everything that's going on. Look at all the factors that are at play and then reach your conclusion based on that. And again, this is what we said. CRT doesn't ask, you know, was racism at work in this instance? It says, how was racism at work in this? It assumes it from the get-go. And that is the one thing you can't do is make an assumption before you look at the facts because it's just not warranted to do so. Now, that's good. So again, this is
0: coming from Vodi's book, I mentioned Tony Tempa last week. Uh, he was held down by police for about 14 minutes after he called the police himself when he was going through some mental issues. He was on cocaine as well, and he was acting erratically. When the police finally got off of him, he, had, he died of asphyxiation and cocaine. They actually ruled it a homicide mixed with cocaine. It was, it was the, so it's not that dissimilar from a George Floyd situation, and yet this does not run through the news in the same way that George Floyd. But let's, let's look at some other examples here. I'll skip through the Tamir Rice, this was a tragic story. You remember this in 2014, a 12-year-old, I think it was a 12-year-old kid here, uh, and uh, he was he was in a park in Cleveland, and he had a toy gun. It looked like a real gun. It was an airsoft gun, and he was pointing it in various places in the park. The police get called. There's a man with a gun in the park. Okay, well, it turns out that all the information did not get to the police officers. It was actually, one person later said it was probably a juvenile and that the gun may not have been a real gun. That information was not transferred to the police officers who were coming. They they were told that there was a, uh, um, they were told that there was, a, I believe it was a code one or something like this. In, in other words, it was a very, yeah, a code one, which is like an urgent situation with potential violence. And so, these are the guns that he had. They look very realistic. The orange tip was removed. It was an airsoft gun. He was holding one of these guns when this happened. It's, th- listen, nothing about this story, this is just absolutely tragic. It makes you want to weep. But this is what happened. So the police pulled up. You can see right here, the cruiser pulls up. This poor 12-year-old kid is holding a very realistic-looking gun. When the police get out of the car, the gun is not immediately dropped, and they fire two shots, and one shot hit uh, Tamir Rice in the stomach, and tragically, he died the next day. Now, do you, do you understand how difficult this is from the police perspective? Do you see the police side of this argument here? The police officer shows up, they hear code one, man with a gun in the park. That's what they hear. They don't have all the information, has not all come through. They get out of their car and there's a man holding what appears to be a handgun. He doesn't immediately drop it. It's a tragic situation. I don't even know exactly what the right thing to do in this moment is, but it's not as though this, so th- th- here's, here's what I'm getting at. The narrative, as Vodi said, was quote, little black boys can't play with toy guns without being shot by police. That was the narrative that came out of this story. So as tragic as this story is, here's what goes, and Vodi points this out, look, look at this. So this is CBS News and also uh, Washington Post. Uh, this is in 2016. 86 people carrying fake or toy guns were killed by police in, that, in the last two years. So that's like 2014, 15, 16, right in there. 86 people were killed uh, by police carrying toy guns. Now, Now look at this fact later in the article. Of those killed, all but five were men. Would you guess this? 54 were white, 19 were black, and 11 were Hispanic. Would you guess that would be the case from the Tamir Rice story? No, the Tamir Rice story gets frontline news. People have t-shirts with his name on it. And I'm not saying it wasn't a tragic thing. I've watched the video. I've read into the story. It was a tragic scenario. I don't know, I don't know what to even say about it. It's an awful thing that happened. But, but if the narrative that comes out of that is systemically targeting African-American boys with fake guns, that's factually untrue. There is not a systemic targeting of black people with toy guns because, if anything, about three times more white people were killed with toy guns during those same two years. So the, 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 I, the of, you have the individual incidents that we can talk about. But the question is, does the individual story prove a system that is corrupt to the core? That, that's, where, that's where things get off to a, to a bad uh, spot here. Let me, let me go to another one here, Philando Castile. This, another one, was a tragic, tragic story. I've seen the video, you may have seen it too. A police officer pulls up uh, to the car, the, the Philando Castile and his girlfriend and his four-year-old daughter is in the back seat This is what happens. I just watched it again yesterday to remind myself what happened. Philando Castile is sitting there for a busted taillight. He is pulled over. Police officer says, I need to see your license and registration. Philando Castile reaches. He's reaching for his wallet, and then he says, officer, I want to tell you, I have a firearm on me. Now, the officer now knows this is a little more tense because you've got a firearm, but it was a legally carried uh, firearm, and so the police officer puts his hand up on his belt, as you might expect, because there's a firearm being mentioned, and so now, my, I'm not God. I don't know exactly what happened, but my best reading on it, trying to be as honest as I can watching this, is I believe Flando Castile was really reaching for his wallet. But the officer doesn't know that. And the officer says, sir, show me your hands. Do not reach. Do not reach. Don't show me. He says, I'm not reaching for my gun, but he's reaching for his wallet. But it, the cop can't tell where he's reaching. So he reaches back into his belt. The police officer pulls out his gun and shoots him several times. It is awful. The four-year-old girl gets out of the backseat of the car. You want to weep. The, the, the girlfriend starts filming it on the thing. This cop just killed me. This police officer just killed my, my, husband, my, my boyfriend for trying to get out his wallet. Now, do you see how complicated this situation is? From the police perspective, in one second, that guy could have a gun out and firing at the police officer for all the police officer knows, right? This has nothing to do with ethnicity. That's just a fact. In a split second, that could happen, right? So the police officer has to assume if I don't see your hands and you're not doing what I say, you may be reaching for a weapon. So the police officer is responding like that. But this guy's going, I'm just, you told me to reach for my wallet. I'm just reaching for my wallet. I'm not reaching for my gun. Do you see how both sides make some sense? And yet this tragic result happens. I'm not saying I know what the right thing to do was. I'm just telling you, the question is, does this mean that African-Americans are being targeted? You can see this is Flando Castile. That's the officer that, uh, that shot him in this particular incident. Now, again, th- these are sad stories. I'm going to show you another tragic incident here. This is from, you see here, December 2016, uh, Dylan Noble. This guy gets out of his truck the, he's a white man, the police are telling him to stop and to get down on the ground. He is refusing to comply. He's walking around, acting kind of er- er- erratically. Finally, he's coming toward the police with his hands up. They have multiple guns on him. And what does he do? He foolishly puts his right hand behind his back. And he holds it there for multiple seconds while the police are saying, show me your hands. And listen, again, I am not a police officer. I will just say what I've heard from police training is the hands are what threaten you. Right? They're not going to kill you with their eyes. They're not going to kill you with their ears or their knees or their legs or their feet. If, if you're going to be attacked as a police officer, it's the hands, right? That's where the weapons are going to come from. So this guy puts his right hand behind his back deliberately, and then he says, I don't want to live or something like that, okay? Now, if you're the police officer, are you feeling good about what's about to happen? No, you're not. Now, it turns out this man had no weapon on him, but there's no way to know that. He's got his hand behind his back, refusing to comply. He says, I don't want to live, and then he whips his right hand out, holding no weapon, and they just shoot him. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, what, what can you do? I, I don't know what to say, but here, here's the deal. Is the, this is, the point here is to say, as tragic as this is, this is a white man this happened to. Have you ever heard of Dylan Noble? Was there a hashtag about Dylan Noble? Does anyone have a shirt with Dylan's name on it? No, why? Because he's white. I guarantee you, if, if Dylan Noble was an African-American man, we would have heard about him. But so, so again, th- this is the, this is what I want to get at. Now I, I want Greg to talk here. Just, I want to go a couple more of these. Mike Brown was a very famous one a few years ago. Another tragic story, this young man uh, who was killed by police. And there's controversy about precisely how uh, he died. Uh, this is where the phrase hands up, don't shoot came from, it was from the Michael Brown story. But the, 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 the information from the original witness the, the witness originally said that he was not raising his hands, that his back was not turned, that, that the information is, is not maybe as clear as it once looked. Well, let me compare it to D- Daniel Shaver. You may or may not have heard of him. Married with two daughters. He was in a, a motel. They were drunk, acting foolishly. They held like a BB or pellet gun out the window. Someone thought it was a rifle, understandably, they call the police, right? The police come. The police come basically with assault rifles ready to go because this guy, they, they think he's, they got a weapon. they got a rifle. So they get everyone out of the room, and the last man, Daniel Shaver, is drunk. He's intoxicated, so he's not thinking as clearly as he should be, and I've seen this video as well. It's, it's, uh, th- this one, I really do think the police did not handle this well, but uh, they, they were screaming contradictory commands at him. It was very confusing. They're screaming, I'm going to shoot you. I mean, if you do that again, I'm going to shoot you, and he comes down the hallway, and I'm not going to show you anything graphic here, but this moment right here, you can't see. He reaches at his belt for a brief moment. He did not have a weapon, but he reached back to his belt, and in that moment, he was shot multiple times and killed. Now, I'm not going to give you what the right thing to do was. It seems to me the police handled this too roughly, but whatever your view on this is, you can at least understand the perspective he reached for his belt, even though he was told not to do that. And you don't know if he has a weapon and they know that they seem to have had a weapon in the room. Well, have you heard of this man, Daniel Shaver? Here's a picture of him and his wife and his two daughters. Like, this just makes you want to weep that this happened. I'm, I'm not saying, it's a tragic situation. I don't know what to even tell you. But you probably have not heard of him because of his skin color. And I, I wonder here, at what point is the narrative being controlled by certain selective stories versus uh, what was actually factual?
1: Well, I mean, it, it seems obvious that it is like what what we're seeing is intentionally what we're seeing and what we're not seeing is being withheld. I mean, in some level, guys, we have to understand this is just a symptom of sin. You know, Romans 1 says, what do people do with the truth of God? They suppress it in unrighteousness um, for whatever ill agenda they might have. And in this case, um, in our nation right now, we see a lot of suppressing of, of the truth in regards to racial issues. Um, wicked people... Um, are, I think, preying on good-meaning people who genuinely grieve over the loss of life, genuinely grieve over our, the racial history of this country, um, and they're being manipulated um, by people who know what they're doing into pushing an agenda, pushing a movement, um, and all kinds of things that, that just don't line up with reality. You know, And again, it's one of those things, um, every, every loss of life is tragic. Like, no human being who is killed should we, we ever, in the truest sense, celebrate and be like giddy happy over it. I mean, even in war, there's no joy in taking another human's life. Yes, we celebrate because we were able to defeat an enemy who um, was a threat to, to civilization in that sense. So we're glad the threat is gone, but we don't rejoice in the death of an image bearer of God. I mean, if we're, we're grieved over the loss of a life in an abortion, we should be grieved over the loss of life in, in situations like this, whatever the skin color of, who, of whoever was killed. Um, and the, the problem is, though, again, it goes back to this, it's, it's a narrative that's not interested in the facts. And that's why we see what we see, and we're told about what we're told about, is because they only want to present a certain viewpoint. They only want to present a certain ideology, a certain belief um, because if they can convince people of that, then facts don't matter anymore, and people will go along with it, and they can make the changes that they want to our society. Um, and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking that any life is being either ignored or drawn attention to for these kinds of reasons. It's, just, it's heartbreaking because for, for a lot of the mainstream media um, and, and folks like BLM, um, I, don't, I don't think they really care about these people. It's all about the agenda that they want to push. They want to end Western civilization. They want to see all these changes. And these people are useful means to that end. And it's just heartbreaking to see. Now, I, I want to show
0: you, this is from uh, a few years ago. This is a, a local news story. And uh, I thought this was very interesting. There's videos like this you can find online. But this one gives you an interesting perspective on the, on the, on the complicated nature of, police, of p- p- policing in general. And so listen to this story. So I'm going to have you put, your hol- put the holster on, right? Uh, let, let me say here, th- th- this man right here, the African-American man who's going to do this little uh, procedure, he has been one of these guys who's been protesting very strongly against police brutality. Okay, so he wanted to actually see the other side, which I give him credit for. You know, he wanted to see the other side, so he decided to do a day of police training to see what it's like to deal with a possible, you know, death situation, a, a possibly violent scenario.
4: Inside
0: your, your belt loop
2: there. Jarrett Maupin gets his weapon. You might recognize him as a high-profile organizer in the minority community. Just last month, he led marches on Phoenix Police Headquarters after an officer shot an unarmed man.
4: We want his badge. We want his gun. We want his job.
2: Today, he accepted an invitation to look at things from the other side, agreeing to go through a force-on-force training session with the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Three scenarios where you have to decide to shoot or not shoot. Scenario one what, what is kind of a call about a man kind of casing car cars in a parking uh, lot. Moppin right approaches the man right? and starts asking questions.
4: Uh, what? You your you're guns? looking for your vehicle. What kind of car do you drive? What kind of car do you drive? It's
2: my car, man. Oh. Moppin, the officer, is shot.
4: It happens that fast.
1: At what time did you think that it was time for you
4: to address the use of force that was uh, given? When he came to the back of the vehicle, Okay. Uh, and and was hiding. You know, I could sense something Something was wrong.
2: Scenario two, a call of two men fighting. What's going on today, gentlemen?
4: What you doing, What's, wrong with you? What's going on today, gentlemen? What, what do you want? What's happening here? What's wrong with Back you? Huh? What are you doing, man? Hey. Hey, he shouldn't, we, approach, we me. We he shouldn't approach me. He we shouldn't, approach me. He, he shouldn't approach me. he shouldn't approach me. He shouldn't approach me.
1: in there.
4: Yeah. What are you doing? You just shot him? Oh. Hey, he rushed me. Tell me why you shot. Well, I, I've shot because he was within that zone. You know, I felt there was a, an imminent threat. I, I didn't necessarily see him armed, uh, but he, he came clearly to do some harm to, uh, to the officer, or to my person. It's hard to make that call. It's a, it shakes you up.
2: Again, an unarmed man
0: was shot. Scenario three. Okay, I'm going to skip scenario three. It's just not as important. Let me skip to this last little bit of the interview. Listen to this last part here.
2: Things happen very fast out here. I asked Moppin what his biggest takeaway from this exercise will be.
4: I didn't understand how important uh, compliance was, but but after going through this, yeah, my attitude has has changed. Uh, it, this is all unfolding in, in 10 to 15 seconds. Um, people need to comply with the with the uh, orders of law enforcement officers for their own sake.
0: Isn't that amazing? The different perspective. Where he sees literally in a split second he could die. He could be shot and killed out of nowhere. And so compliance and seeing the hands of the person is extraordinarily important. Just any, any reflections
1: on that video? Um, I mean, again, what did, what did the facts do? Facts changed somebody's opinion, which is why we should never be afraid of, of sharing them. Um, and, you know, we pray for people to be reasonable. Um, but think, thinking about police situations like that, there, there's other elements at play too, even if they're unarmed. I um, mean, you'll see this if you're in like emergency care in a hospital. People come in, and you can have like, um, let's say, and I'm, I'm not picking on you when I say this, but somebody Mark size, like he's not like intimidating, you know, a big bodybuilder, you know, <coughs> um, stuff like that. You can have someone about his size if he's hyped up on the right drug. It's going to take five or more people to restrain him. Five or more people to restrain him, and you're talking, and I, I've heard the stories realistically, of guys who are, you know, who make Josh Chronic look small, okay? <laughs> um, they're, they're huge guys, and they are using everything they have to hold down somebody who's less than half their size, them and four other people, and they can barely restrain them, okay? So put yourself in the, the, the position of a police officer who's trying to make a stop or trying to do an inquiry, and you've got somebody hyped up on a drug. I mean, in this case, you know, you don't know that, but if, if they're hyped up on something, guess what? Typical force is not going to do it. Hey, you need to stop. Like it's literally going to become a fight for your life. Um, and in those situations, you can we can sit back from our, 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 be an armchair quarterback and be like, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that. Like that guy found out, it's not so simple. It's not so simple. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why People, you know, officers have to use force in response to things. Sometimes it's just because people are being dumb. Other times they're hyped up on drugs and they're not going to be thinking straight. They're not going to be responding with a sound mind and reasonable judgment. And what's going to happen? They're going to assault officers and things that would normally, um, even tasers, various things like that, that might normally take someone down. It's not going to work as effectively. And so what do you do in that situation? Again, I'm not saying I know everything on this, but it's like, it's not as clear cut as it's often portrayed. Oh, they just should have done that. If they had just done that sometimes, they might be dead now. And so it's like, do we trade? We don't even want to think about trading one life for another. I mean, that's just, but the the point is, it's not so simple. It's not so simple. Going back to what you mentioned, I think, last week, there are between 50,
0: listen to this, there are between 50 and 60 million interactions between police and civilians every year in our country. So you have about 330 million Americans, 330 million people, about 50 to 60 police interactions, about 10 million arrests, 10 million arrests every year. For the numbers of unarmed people to be shot being as small as it is, I mean, like, we're not dealing with, with a group of 100 people. You know? we're, we're dealing with 330 million people, mm-hmm. 60 million interactions, 10 million arrests, and we're talking about a couple of hundred unarmed people getting killed each year. I don't, I'm not saying that there aren't bad eggs in the police department. I'm not saying that there aren't really evil police officers. Th- those, those things exist, and they should be absolutely prosecuted, and they should be held to the full account of the law, not denying that. But the issue, again, is, is, the, is the entire system rigged. That's the question. Mm. Okay, so let, let's keep going here. CRT, the critical race theory, led to the hashtag defund the police, police. Let me just say real quick. This is another story for another day. The word critical, like critical theory, which is an umbrella term, and you have underneath it, you have like, you have like, uh, you have critical pedagogy, you have critical legal studies, you have critical race theory, right? Critical is the big umbrella. Critical basically means finding problems in a system until the system is totally problematized. In other words, until the system is seen as being corrupt to the core and then having a revolution to overthrow the system. That's what critical means in critical race theory. Let's see how the revolution played out since 2020. So ACLU, defunding the police will actually make us safer. Defunding the police will actually make us safer. This is, again, around that time period in that article. By shrinking their massive budgets, we can help uh, end decades of racially driven social control and oppression, as well as address social problems at their root, instead of investing in an institution that further oppresses and terrorizes communities. Now listen, we're trying to show you here that critical race theory has real-world deadly consequences. Okay? That, that's what we're saying. The, the ideology leads to defund the police. And let's just look at this. Six years after the Black Lives Matter movement rose to national attention, activists across the country are coming together to demand what many have known to uh, has been the solution all along, defund the police. That was a couple years ago. Now, let's look at articles since 2020. This is, again, Black Lives Matter says the same thing, defund the police. They even painted it everywhere. Remember, in all I've got a ton of pictures here. Defund the police. was all over the place. I'll just play these pictures. Black Lives Matter equals defund the police, this is in Atlanta, defund the police. Fund the people, not police, uh, defund NYPD, disarm, defund, and abolish the NYPD, defund, demilitarize, and abolish the police. Notice over here, abol- abolish racist institutions. That's, that's the argument. It's, it's a racist institution, the police force. Defund the police. This has all gone on just in the last few years in our country. Police brutality is a public health concern. Racism is the real pandemic. Fight white supremacy. Racism is a pandemic again. Defund the police, and it goes on and on. Police should protect, not murder. In systemic racism. Racism is a public health crisis. Systemic racism is a public health crisis. White coats for black lives. Defund the police, and then, by the way, notice, defund the KKK cops, the KKK cops. In uh, systemic racism, so we have a course on it here in the University of British Columbia, a, a whole course on anti-racism and systemic racism. Racism is a pandemic, too. Now, now, today, I'm not trying to make a political point. This is just a headline, just what it says. CNN, uh, this is in uh, 2021. Even Democrats are now admitting defund the police was a massive mistake. I think allowing the moniker defund the police to ever get out there was not a good thing. Minnesota, Minnesota Attorney General said, Look down here, the number of reported violent crimes like assaults, robberies, and homicides are up compared to 2019, according to MPD crime data. More people have been killed in the city in the first nine months of 2020 than were slain in all of last year. Property crimes like burglaries and auto thefts are also up. Incidents of arson have increased 55% over the total at this point in 2019. The city council had months before moved $1.1 million from the police department to the health department Newsweek, defund the police is dead, but other reforms are working. Two years after George Floyd was killed, a surge in violent crime in major cities across the country has effectively ended defund the police movement that sprung up in the wake of his death, The Atlantic. Criminal justice reformers chose the wrong slogan. Defund the police is a disaster. Under policing is a form of oppression too. In the same article, it speaks of the the phrase defund the police justifying fears that if implemented, it would lead to many more murders, assaults, and other violent crimes, disproportionately harming victims in America's most marginalized communities. Here's the great tragic irony. Defunding the police led to the loss of more black lives. That's the tragic irony. Um, Seattle Times, Seattle's botched experiment with defund the police keeps getting worse. That's in June of 2022. In that same article, more than 400 officers have left while crime has gone up. Crime has soared. Uh, surging crime wave ends defund the police movement. The predictable consequences of defund the police. It took a spate of murders to abandon. The, okay, so Greg, th- this, these are the real life deadly r- results of trying to do this. W- what is going wrong here with the defund the police movement?
1: Well, again, they went with a narrative, not facts. And This is what happens when you go with a narrative that's not tethered to facts. Death, chaos, crime, everything. Um, I mean, law enforcement is a good thing. What people don't understand is mob violence never produces law and order. It never does. It never can. Um, and that is, that is exactly what we ha- what was encouraged during all the protests and everything. it was mob violence. Um, Vigilante justice, whatever, never produces law and order. It always produces, um, it brings about outcomes that aren't the outcomes everybody said they would bring. And it's like we have, we have history to prove that. Um, yeah. Um. V- Vodi Baka moved to Zambia
0: a few years ago, about six or seven years ago, to become the leader of a Bible college there in Africa, which is a wonderful thing. And Vodi said, now th- this is what he said, When he moved to Zambia, he had people in Zambia. Let me start with this. He said, the police in Zambia are truly corrupt. He said, this this is the kind of stuff he saw. If you're about to be arrested, they will ask for cash. He was saying this. They would ask for cash just to take it and just use it, right? There were, he saw a, a person was getting arrested for, for, for a theft and was just taken by the police in that moment and beaten right there in front of people, just like beaten as his punishment right in front of people. And he went on and on with all these stories of corruption in the police force there. And then he said, this is the moment where Vodi said he knew he needed to write the book, Fault Lines. He said, this would what happened. People in Zambia who see the police, who see real police corruption all around them, came to Vodi and said, how could you survive in the United States with the police force as corrupt as it is? He said, wait a second. He goes, wait, it has come to you guys that the police force in the U.S. is far more corrupt than the one in Zambia. He said, but I'm telling you from firsthand account, the Zambia police force needs much more reform. He said, the one in America is, is one of the best police systems we have in the world. So he said, uh, he said that wasn't he realized that it had been, it had been so mischaracterized through, through basically media at that point that he wanted to do something about it.
1: Um, scripture verse, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 26. It says, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Um, and again, in our, in our context today, it's like, you know, don't, don't push back, don't argue, just accept what they're saying, trust their narrative, don't trust the facts. Um, when we know what is right and we yield to that which is wrong, it doesn't make things better, it makes them worse. Hence the analogy in Proverbs 25, 26, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain. When you give way to wickedness, you're not going to introduce cleanness, you're only going to introduce dirt and filth and that which pollutes and muddies things. Um, And so the reason why I think we, we have to think about it this way is we have to push back against false narratives that aren't based in reality, that aren't based on the facts. Why? If we don't, what happens? Everything we've been looking at. Things don't get better, things get worse. And like people tried to say this. That's why they said justified fears. It's like, well, this is what they, you, you hate to have an I told you so moment, but it's like, that is exactly what it is. We had an I told you so. Question? Yeah, I, I, I can't, know the motives, but I would say there's
0: probably a combination of things going on. I'm sure that there are some people who truly do know better in the movement and maybe are exploiting it for other reasons, but I really sincerely, like the video we showed at the very beginning of that interview where those guys on the street were saying, we think 1,500 to one is the unarmed, like African-American to white. Right. If that's what you believe, I can understand why you're going around saying something is deeply wrong with the police force and we need to do something drastic to fix it. But the, the actual facts are people are doing everything they can to hide them, it seems, which I think is, is creating a lot of confusion
1: amongst younger people in particular. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's hard to know. Like we, we can't read people's hearts, but it's hard. It's, so it's, it makes it hard to know who genuinely believes that and is deceived and who knows better. Uh, it's it's hard to know for sure. Um, and that's, I think that's why we just have to push back against the issue itself and say, look, this is how we have to think. This is how we need to evaluate. This is how we need to respond. This is what's really going on. I mean, in, in, in that case, the people who are willingly deceiving, I mean, they're not going to care about what we're doing right now. Um, but people who are earnest, maybe, perhaps, Speaking the truth will, will make them start to rethink some things. Like the gentleman, the the activist who did the, the the police training and was like, wow, you got 10 or 15 seconds. Like he saw something that busted his narrative and he was willing to change based on that. And I think that's the hope is that, and I, I know not everybody's gonna be persuaded by this. Um, there's some people because because of wherever they're at they're just going to be angry, and they're going to say, you're just proving our point, you're just white supremacists. you're, just, you're not interested in us, blah, blah, and it's like, no, that's actually not the case, but they're not really interested in a discussion. My hope, the hope is when we speak truth, maybe we'll find somebody who is, and if we can turn them, we can help them start to see and make them help them change, then maybe they can help other people start to do it too. But as, as far as like motives and stuff, I, I don't know unless somebody is just gut-level honest and say, well, yeah, I know I was purposefully being deceitful with this, it's, it's going to be hard to say, I think. Yeah, we're,
0: we're out of time. Uh, next week, our plan is to talk about some of the issues about disparities, uh, especially between ethnic groups in our country. We want to deal with that issue, which is a huge issue. And then also we want to get to the issue of reparations. Does the Bible mm-hmm. support paying reparation? We're going to argue it does not, but we'll, we'll get to
1: more of that later. Greg, can you close us in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to discuss some very, very difficult issues, very emotional, very uh, just charged issues in our culture today. And Lord, I, I know I have my convictions on this and energy and passion for this, but Lord, I pray that, Lord, I would be try to do everything I can to stick to the facts, Lord, and then that's what all of us would do. Um, Lord, as, as sad as individual instances are, Lord, as heartbreaking as they are, help us Um, not be deceived into thinking they necessarily imply something much worse going on. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Lord, help us be a people who chase the facts um, and form our opinions and our conclusions based on actual, real, objective evidence um, that we can find. Lord, ultimately, because we're people of the truth. As Christians, Lord, we want to follow the truth wherever the truth leads. We don't have to be afraid of that. We don't need to be intimidated by that. Um, and so, Lord, give us such a heart and mind that uh, will follow the facts wherever they may truly go. Um, God, because we know we don't have to be afraid of that. Um, and in it all, Lord, help us remember the hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, should we have opportunity to discuss these things with folks outside uh, the church, folks in our community. Uh, Lord, please give us a gracious spirit, a humble spirit, but one that, that isn't swayed uh, by emotion um, but is, is submissive to what the facts actually are. So Lord, help us to, to speak truth, most of all to point people to Jesus. And uh, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen.